You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode, as I always say, of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Hall, out of DreamLot Studio, here with my co-host, Vadim from Comfrog Recording. How's it going, Vadim? What's new? It's going okay. It's going okay. Another day, another mix. Another day, another Just mix. More like another, another week, another mix at my pace, but <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> Yes, I get it. I feel like for me, it's been another day, another day Ben tries to figure out doing video with his new video camera. Ah, new video camera. Yes, which is do fun. Tell. It's a lot of fun. I decided to get uh, a nice Panasonic mirrorless DSLR style camera for some um, content that I'm hopefully putting out there on YouTube pretty soon. So about to finally get the content train moving which i've never been too good at but hopefully this will be the the kick the kick in the butt that i need to uh so you're gonna put it out going. stuff under dream loud studio you're gonna start a dream loud studio youtube yeah i mean i have one there there's just like two videos on it so about time to put some better stuff out there you know whether that's gotcha and that could be even for my own channel too just some bass playthrough stuff that's not studio related so i'll probably do a little bit for of sure Okay, so good. you suggested the episode today, so why don't you tell us what we're going to be diving into? Yes, yes. We had some questions in the Facebook group about um, mastering-related stuff. Yeah. How can I master my song on my phone was one of them. There was just We were going back and forth, and we've done some episodes on mastering, what it is. We've done some shootouts between... Uh, mastering on uh, these automated web services versus Don't having an engineer it. do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so we thought it would be cool, though, to, to to do an episode. We're gonna call this episode something like the DIY Mastering Field Guide. Like this is mm. nitty gritty. You just gotta get a master done. How do you do it? We're gonna give you a relatively easy, maybe nine or ten step process. So get your notebooks out. Although if you're on the email list, you'll probably get a PDF of the steps. Ooh. So make sure you're on that email list. And uh, yeah, we're just going to take you in real time through two sessions, talk about how to do a quick and dirty DIY master. What do we even mean by, by mastering? How do we know when we're done mixing and we've started mastering? What, what does that look like? Oh, that's a great question. That can be like... Uh... I'll tr I'll try to come up with a satisfactory answer, but mixing and mastering they can kind of overlap a little bit. But I'll I'll give it a go here. I'll say that you know that you're done with mixing when you've done all that you can to the individual tracks as far as affecting them, and you've got a a good balance down. Everything's kind of working together, and maybe you're not quite sure how to make it better. You've got you've gotten to that point of I've done the best that I can with all the individual tracks. Now it's time to stop thinking about the individual tracks and think about the song as a whole. Like you you change your thinking from balancing the drums to go with the bass to the guitar to the vocals 
and you start thinking about what does the overall song uh, need uh, or not need done to it. So it's more of like a, a mind mindset shift. Yeah, it's a mindset shift for sure. I think that's that's definitely the big thing. So we're gonna take you through two songs, and it's it's kind of a uh, two two birds with one stone episode because we have a, a bit of a DIY showcase song as well. Mm. And uh, this is a band in Germany, a brand new band called Vin Violet. Uh, they actually contacted me because I had done a project with the drummer of this band, um, and mm. another one of his projects. We had worked together in the past, so they contacted me. They were going into the studio to record. We jumped on a call, and I talked them through some advice on how to go about recording the song. Then they recorded it, and I mixed it. So it's kind of a it's a DIY showcase because they self-recorded it completely and self-produced it, uh, but then I did mix it. So half DIY showcase, half DIY mastering episode, half shameless Calm Frog recording <laughs> self-promotion. Three nice. halves. You heard it here first. Yes. Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about the song first. Vin Violet is the band. I think it'll probably be released by the time this episode airs. If not, then shortly afterwards. And the song is called Pink Seagrass. And I did send them an email asking them some questions about how they recorded it and also what the inspiration for it was. And it's a very interesting answer as people's answers always are. People, where people come up with song ideas is always just fascinating. You know, <laughs> songwriters, I yeah. think it's something that we're always interested in. This band is three best friends. Two of them are sisters. And then mm. uh, the other person, Leo, is the drummer. So it's um, Lena. Hannah are sisters, and then Leo is the drummer. So I emailed Lena because she's the primary songwriter here. And uh, the song is called Pink Sea Grass, which is kind of an unusual name. And when I was mixing it, I got this feeling of positivity. Like it's just a very positive, kind of joyous song. And when she told me the story about it, it kind of matched with that. So uh, cool. let's see. She says, I was at my favorite beach in Kiel, if that's how it's pronounced where she lives with her sister for the last two years. It was early spring and all over the beach was this pink seagrass. I can't, I've never seen mm. that. No, me neither. Uh, she said it blew my mind because I wouldn't have believed that this color of seagrass even exists. It looked so beautiful. And that was a key moment for my reality because what else is out there that I wouldn't believe to exist, she says. And uh, she says she remembers coming back from, from this daydream and looking down and seeing this pink seagrass around her sister's feet. And then she got hit with this powerful feeling of gratefulness hmm. um, and wonder and deep connection with her two best friends in the whole universe, Hannah and Leo, who are also her bandmates. And that hmm. was the inspiration behind the song. There's this feeling of gratefulness, knowing these people and having them in her life. So a really beautiful thought. I was really touched reading oh, this that's awesome yeah yeah so let's see what's... i thought it was going to be a metaphor for sure and then it turns out to actually be pink seagrass which is that that blows my mind because i can't imagine that either yeah yeah i would uh, <laughs> actually alina if you're listening to this i would love to see a picture of that if you have it so please share that with us she said she learned a lot during the recording process not only about the recording and technical stuff but also a lot about herself and you know, battling these issues, this is this is so near and dear to my heart as well. Of just issues of self worth, she said, feeling like 
is she even good enough to be a musician? Like, does she even deserve to record? Which is, I think, again, something mm. we've all felt this vulnerability. And the answer is, of course, we all deserve to create art if we're inspired to do so. So I think that's a that's a great thing, though. I think we've all, especially going into the studio, because they did record it in an actual studio by themselves. They had, uh, Leo has access to a studio, but like this feeling of like, do I deserve, who said I deserve to be recording, right? Have you ever, have you ever felt that, Ben? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, especially being a beginner getting, and anytime you're an amateur or you're you're going into a situation you haven't gone into before, I feel like I, I run into the same feelings all over again. And then after yeah. you do it a few times, you're just like, oh, this is normal. This is normal life. And then exactly. yeah, you hit great. a new yeah. thing that's, uh, that's brand new. And then you, you have to deal with the same. It's like the same uh, obstacle at different points along the journey. <laughs> totally. Well said. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, this is also interesting. She said there was also some new dynamics coming up between Leo and me because we're so far used to being best friends and partners, but now working with each other brought us into some waters of conflict. Ooh. And I, I laughed when I read that because I have uh, the same experience with my wife. My wife and I never really argue or fight. Like we are completely on the same page, except <laughs> when we're songwriting. When we're sitting there <laughs> trying to come up with lyrics and we're, we're just like not on the same page. That's the only time we just, we have like friction. So that was- uh, That's really funny. Yeah, it was really interesting to me. And then uh, just a couple quick things from Leo on the technical stuff. He says, we, did the, we recorded the drums first. I had a guitar demo part very quiet in my ear to know where I was and a metronome over it. Then we tracked guitars in the bass all to the drum track, which is a great idea. We alternated on vocals a bit because there were some main parts sung by Lena and some, main, and some parts sung by Hannah. Then we did the backing vocals. It's into the gear a little bit, but I'm not going to read about all the gears, the gear stuff they used. Uh, drums were done in a mildly isolated room, vocals in a pretty dead vocal chamber. They used Cubase and uh, some Focusrite interfaces. He said he had some troubleshooting problems with sample rate and mic interfaces not working. And he yeah. said our episode on the zen of troubleshooting helped him a lot in the aftermath. Oh, so. awesome. That's great. That is yeah, very awesome. So uh, I'm going to play you a little bit of the um, – well, actually, I'll just play the, the, the song first so, you, so um, you guys can hear what the song sounds like. This is the finished version of it, um, and then we'll get into our mastering episode. Cool. So Let's load it up.
Yeah, it's a really cool. cool song. I like that song. Cool, yeah, it's a great song. And uh, yeah, they wanted this kind of really roomy drum sound with a, kind of a darker drum kit, which was counterintuitive mm. to me. Actually, the first mix I gave them had a super loud snare. <laughs> that's what I do. And then and Leo was like, yeah, that's that snare is really, he called it wacky, but he meant like, it's really, oh, <laughs> you can really hear the thwack of it. Yeah. So I had to dial that back. And um, yeah, the band kindly said that I could play the, um, just the, the, uh, the rough mix version too, or, which is just the stems kind of level balance. So again, shameless self-promotion. I'm going to do it mm -hmm. just for a couple seconds, play the, uh, the stems, which is what they sent to me and then play toggle to the the final version that we came up with and the point here is that with well recorded stems or de even decently recorded stems you can get a great sounding mix real quick um, before you get there yeah um when they recorded did they capture their tones or did they give you di's i'm curious they gave me di's for for bass and guitar yeah okay cool awesome yeah, great so, job picking so the tones stuff yeah it sounds great. It's perfect for you. Cool. Thank you. Cool. So yeah, clearly a big difference there. Um, thank you guys for letting me play that again. I hate doing uh, self-promotion, <laughs> but sometimes I got to sneak it in. No, there. that's great though. <laughs> hey, beyond the self-promotion though, I think it's helpful because it shows that it, it shows the mal, the, the malleability of a track. Like you could take that, what they gave you and go in a whole variety of different directions. And so it's, you know, it, it just shows the flexibility of what you can do with recorded tracks and also the importance of hiring a good mixing engineer that that can um, know the vibe that you're going for. Yes, absolutely. And that's that was a big part of our discussions was like, what do you want the guitarist to sound like? And, and it, those discussions are very important to have up front. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you could hear that like the stems, you could you could hear how far you can take the stems, right? Yeah. So if you have stems out there, reach out to us. Maybe we can help yes. you out. <laughs> okay, very cool. So let's get into, actually want to start, we'll leave this song for a bit and start with your song, but let's get into our step-by-step okay. -step DIY quick and dirty mastering field guide. And we're going to go through a couple of steps here and Ben, I've showed you my notes and I know you have some comments as well. So let's get into it and you can give me your, your comments. So step one, the Zen step. Let go of your mix. Let it be. <laughs> so you're in your mix session. Things are starting to sound pretty good. Like Ben said, you're pretty happy with where you are. Maybe you've done the best you can. Maybe you haven't done quite the best you can, but you've taken it to a point of diminishing returns. So mm -hmm. make sure you have enough headroom, which is to say that your mix is peaking somewhere around minus five dB FS as like as a as a rough go by, and then bounce your track down 
to a single stereo file. Save your session. Close your session. Mm-hmm. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. You're done with the mixing phase. You will not go back to it. You are finished. Okay. Practice the art of letting go is what I wrote yes. in my notes. <laughs> I think you. I think we're on the same page on that, right, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. I do agree. Um, as far as the headroom goes, the, I think the only thing I'd add to that is negative five is a great you know rule of thumb that you have. Uh, you know, five decibels above the peaking, you know, of headroom. It really can be wider than that, though. You could go anywhere, you know, negative three, negative six, or more. If you want more headroom, that's fine, too. <laughs> yeah, But you just have sure. to have a, a little bit. Thumb. Yeah. Yes. Okay, For sure. cool. Step two. So you have a clear, bright line now. We've said we're done mixing. We're going to the mastering phase. So step two is set up your mastering session. Here's what we're going to do. Open up a blank session, brand new. Import your stereo mix that you just bounced out and then duplicate that track. And I actually, this, I like this. This is one of Ben's ideas. We're mm. going to keep our original mix in there so that we can reference back to it periodically and make sure that we're moving in the right direction because we're going to be making a lot of subtle changes here. And we want to make sure we're not actually harming <laughs> the right. mix, right? Very important. Yep. So now right, we have two tracks in our session. We have our mix just twice duplicated. Now we're going to import a reference track. Picking a reference track is a bit of an art, uh, but you want to pick something roughly in the same genre that you think sounds good. I mean, that's the, the basics of what we want to do. If you can, try not to use an MP3. Try to use a WAV file because MP3s have, it's a compressed audio format, so there's information missing from an MP3. Mm-hmm. If you're referencing to an MP3, you will think you're doing better than you actually are. You won't have to work as hard because MP3s don't sound as good. Right. So we're going to take now we're going to take that reference track and we're going to line up whatever the chorus. I usually like to do the loud part of the track, you know, line that up with the loud part of your track so that the two are overlapping so we can toggle back and forth. And now very important step, as Ben said, you know, you don't want to your track is intrinsically quieter for sure than your reference yeah. track. So what we're going to do is we're going to grab the fader on that reference track, close your eyes, play it back, and to- you can't close your eyes because you've got to toggle back be- back and yeah. forth between the two. Just but don't the point focus. is don't trust meters. <laughs> <laughs> trust right. your ears on this. Pull that fader down until they roughly sound like they're the same uh, level, same loudness. you have any tricks for doing that, Ben, or is that pretty much how you do it? I actually kind of do like to use meters a little bit oh, okay. to- just to get them in the ballpark. But yeah. um, they just have to be they have to be close – and you have to be aware if like one sounds louder or better than the other, just just note where you're starting and and don't allow try not to allow that to to bias you as much, you right. know, to to think that like, uh, oh, I'm better than this track, but it's really just louder. <laughs> yeah, you're really just one dB louder. I catch myself doing that all the time. <laughs> you will fool yourself. Yes. So. Now, at this point, we have three tracks. We have our reference track. We have our track twice. And um, we're pretty much ready to get started. So step three I have is usually corrective EQ. Yeah, this we're is going the, first to f- where, the first step where we're actually diving in and doing something to the track. So yes. Yes. Yes, we're actually going to start doing something. And by the way, for um, both of us, just use stock plugins to do these quick DIY masters. Yep. So keep that in mind. So Ben's using Studio One. I'm using Pro Tools. We just purposely tried to do this with only stock plugins just to prove that 
you can. So corrective EQ. So we're going to pull up an equalizer. And the big mindset shift that Ben mentioned is that as opposed to a mix where we're listening to instruments, what is the snare doing? What is the vocal doing? Mastering, yeah. we're more listening for frequency ranges. And this can be tricky to do, but uh, that's what we're trying to do. So we're going to uh, give you a couple of helpful prompts here for your critical listening, but we're toggling back and forth between our track and our reference track. And here's some prompts that I like to use. And Ben, I'd like to hear some of yours as well. Sure. I like to listen to the vocals, how loud they are, how bright they are, how much energy kind of in the upper mids there mm. is, that kind of vocal sizzle. I like to listen to the snare drum, how much body versus how much crack it has. This is my way of telling you to listen to the mid-range, but listening to the mid-range is a very abstract concept. So if mm. you listen to these instruments, you will effectively trick yourself into focusing on mid-range. And the last thing is like guitar fizziness and body. Again, that's that upper mid section. So we're trying to listen for, are our guitars fizzier than the reference guitars? Are our vocals darker or too much, too honky compared to the reference track? Those kinds of things. So that's our mid-range trick. Mm. For low end, listen to the bass, the kick drum, and the guitar low mids, which is another way of saying muddiness. And I'm not saying muddiness here as a negative thing. Muddiness can be a good thing. But that's what you're listening for is that kind of low, mid, muddy range. How loud is the bass? How clear is the bass? How muddy are the guitars? And then finally, listening to the very, very tippy top end. So we can mm -hmm. listen to the cymbals there and how much sizzle they have. Uh, those are kind of my main cues. What are some of yours? I tend to I tend to focus on what is wrong with my mix when I get to this stage but it isn't necessarily what's wrong it's you know what can be enhanced so what's different yeah what's different so much the same as you do i i think that the first thing that i think about is is my stereo mix too muddy it's normally the first thing that i think of because mm. i think for uh not for some reason but for very practical reasons there just happens to be a lot of buildup from all the instruments and vocals right in between 100 to 200 hertz. So that's normally the first thing I focus on is not take not taking the EQ and notching out that frequency range, but objectively analyzing it and asking myself, especially in comparison to my reference tracks, uh, does this have too much muddiness? Uh, does it not have enough? low mids which rarely ever happens but you know how does this compare to other reference tracks so i'll do that that's a great one that's such a mm. critical frequency for me as well if you have too much of it compared to your reference that's when you get that muddy kind of obscured yes. sound and if you have not enough then you will have a thin sound so that's kind of a weight range as well so that's that's a great one yeah what else even your hand gesture was exactly how i think of it too like i think uh think of like <laughs> think of bob ross he's painting a beautiful painting and muddiness is mm. like bob ross taking his hand and just taking yes. all his beautiful colors and just muddying it up so you can't tell what is a tree a happy little tree and your lake and your <laughs> birds anymore they all just kind of mesh together and it's the same way with that frequency range sometimes all it takes is just a little bump uh in an eq out of that region can all of a sudden make the bass guitar the guitars the drums just 
um, have way more definition than they had before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other things. For? Yeah, some other things too is um, do I have too much sub? Do I have enough sub? Um, and this is very genre dependent. You know, if right. you're working on a hip hop track, you want a lot of sub. <laughs> if you're working on uh, something more classical, you don't probably want any sub. I know you have well, a subwoofer, but like for, I don't yes. have a subwoofer and I can't get any sub out of my monitor. So for me to check sub, headphones, 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 mm. because I, I just, I won't know. Sometimes I'll put on headphones and I'll be shocked at how much sub I have. I didn't know I had, it sounded fine on my monitor. So definitely use headphones for that very, very low end. I will, uh, in the mid range, I like what you said about vocals. I'll also listen for guitars. Like, do they have enough presence? Um, that's something I've been, I think, improving on a lot. Like I've noticed that some of my old mixes, this song included that, you know, I mastered for this episode. Sometimes my guitars just don't have enough presence to kind mm. of fill in that mid range. So that's one thing I'll listen for. Does it need to be added or is there too yep. much? Uh, and then one additional thing on the high end, sometimes, a lot of times it's just kind of the symbols up in the, the sheen, the very, very high end, but sometimes your S's from the vocals will be up there too. Yeah. And so sometimes when you're boosting to make the cymbals sound nice, you just got to be careful that you don't get a harsh S sound that kind of comes Great out and point. attacks you because you added way too much high end. Great point. Absolutely. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen back and forth between our track and our reference track, which are now level matched. And we're going to listen to some of these prompts that we just mentioned, and we're going to grab our EQ and make some of these connect, uh, corrections and improvements. Mm. And you may say to yourself like, well, I don't know what these different frequencies sound like, and you will get better at this as you do it over time. But what I like to do is you listen carefully and then you kind of remember, you kind of store in your memory, do it with your voice. Like, is it a, Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, huh. Try to remember that frequency and then grab your EQ with a kind of a, a medium Q or medium width. So we're not doing a super narrow cut or super wide, but medium and mm -hmm. boost it 6 dB roughly and sweep it around until you get that frequency sound that you've stored in your head. Is it a huh? or whatever yeah. it is. When it yeah. jumps out at you, that's it. Stop moving it around and just take the gain knob and just move it down a little bit, cut very small amounts. So what I like to do again with mastering is maybe cut 2 dB just to make sure it's there and then give it back, give it back. Yeah. Try to do like half dB, one dB increments at most because we're doing a lot of small changes that are going to add up to a difference. So do you want to do it as we talk? Do you want to play your example? Because I think that was the first step, right? Yeah, let's, let's go step by step. I like that. Cool. And I just so have a chorus gonna... here. It's not very long. Yeah, that's perfect. And you already level matched these, I noticed. So yes. kudos to you for doing that. All right, so we're going to play the, first, the mix first. And then I'm going to toggle back and forth between the EQ'd version and the un-EQ'd version. And then you'll tell me what you heard and what and those differences are. Okay.
Cool. Subtle difference. Yes. So this was a song that I worked on for um, an artist, Dan Casagrande. We've featured this song on the podcast before. Yep. It was fun coming back to this because I think it's been a little over a year since I've worked on it. So I just took the mix that I had sent out for mastering just to do my own master too. And I heard some different things that I would have changed had I been mixing it today. Mm. And so um, I'm just referencing what I've got in my DAW right now. So I thought compared to, I picked a Bring Me the Horizon song as a reference and that had kind of a similar vibe to it. And I felt like uh, this song that I was working on didn't have enough low end. That was the first thing. So I took a low shelf and just boosted it a little bit. Uh, I think below 250 hertz just to get more body from the low guitars, the bass, and the kick drum. Mm. Um, I also simultaneously cut, not very narrowly, but um, with, a, with an average quality or width, I cut out some 200 hertz because I thought it started to get a little bit too muddy whenever I put that low shelf increase there. So I added some low end and took away some low mids. Um, I also put a high pass filter at 35 hertz because I thought the sub of the kick was also becoming a little bit uh, too, it was too subby after adding mm. that shelf. So that helped to control that. Um, once again, like I mentioned before, I felt like the guitars weren't, the guitars and also the, the vocal weren't poking through enough. So I took a pretty wide cue and made an EQ move at about, you know, 1.2 K. And I felt like that helped bring up the presence of the guitars and the vocal and fill it in the mid range. Cause I, I felt like in this mix, there was a lot of mid range kind of missing especially from the guitars. And when you're, talk, when you're talking about these boosts and cuts, give me the range, approximate range of... How much? Yeah, how much for... Just ballpark, like, what's the range? Uh, so no more than 2.6 anywhere. Oh, yeah, that's pretty significant. Yeah, okay. But still, compared but, um, to what we would do in mixing, it's subtle, right? In mixing, you would have yeah. no problem boosting. I did go, you know, that. I will say, I, I went pretty heavy-handed with this master, so I think that the the final what you hear is the final master is gonna sound pretty significantly different than the mix um but i, I knew that going into it that i wanted to go more heavy-handed so we did that um step so that's step three corrective eq so we're listening yes. for some of these prompts and we're making our changes step four is compression and this is a this is a tricky one so i want to talk a little yeah. bit about what we're going for when we talk about compressing a mix um one thing we're trying to do is reduce the dynamic range of our song a little bit so that we're not making the limiter work as hard, mm -hmm. right? So if we, if, we, if we have this really dynamic mix and if we make the limiter do all that work, we're going to start running into issues with the limiter distorting and stuff like that. So we're reducing the dynamic range a little bit. And then um, finally, if you have some kind of colorful compressor, like a plugin that has some, we say, color to it or it's got a flavor to it, then we're also maybe trying to add some of that uh, some of that color content, like the bus compressor that I like to use. I love it because it pushes this upper mid range and just like puts mm. things more in your face. And I love that. And so that's the the bus compressor that I typically use on rock mixes. What is uh, anything missing from that description on why we're trying to compress? 
going more than dynamic range, and I think that this song that that I was working on had this problem. The drums are too punchy, so I mm. really wanted to control the transients a lot with compression, which Great. I wouldn't. You won't want to do all the time, but I did in this circumstance. Yeah, so you listen to it relative to your reference. The drums are too pokey. They're too spiky, and so you wanted to kind of control those transients a little bit. That's another great reason to compress. So um, it, I'm not going to go through it in detail here. I'll, I'll send it out in the, in the email, though. So again, if yeah, you're not on the email good. list, the best way to get on the email list is to download the ebook, howtorecordyourband.com. You will be on the email list. You will get all these wonderful emails. But let's listen to what you've done here, Ben, with adding compression. So we're going to listen to okay. our EQ'd version versus the compressed version. Cool. I'm not going to lie. I did struggle with this a little bit because I never use the stock plugins <laughs> in Studio One. And um, the way I wanted to use it was not very transparent. And like it almost was jarring whenever you changed it because I could hear kind of the compressor reacting to the kick because there's so much energy in it. It almost makes, yeah. I don't know, it makes my head like move almost because I hear all of the rest of the music almost kind of suck out for a split second. When that kick hits. Yeah, I had the same problem. And then I found that the, first of all, the stock uh, compressor in Pro Tools is very transparent. So it doesn't add a mm. lot of anything. Second of all, I had already run my mix through the bus compressor. I have a hardware bus compressor. So I didn't need a lot of compression. But I did find that the stock Pro Tools compressor has a side chain you can filter. And what that means is oh, you cool. can get the compressor to not react to the subs of that kick. And as soon as I dialed up that side chain, it, I stopped getting that sucky feeling of every time mm. the kick hits, it sucks out the music a little bit, which is like cool in EDM, not cool in rock. And um, yeah, so so tell me a little bit more about your, your what you did there with the compression. Yeah, so once again, I wanted to go pretty heavy handed because I wanted to control the drums a little bit more. So um, I set it to a three to one ratio which is about the highest I would probably want to go for for a master. Um, but oftentimes in other mixes I work on, I'm doing 1.5. Uh, you know what? Actually, as we're going through these steps, I'm gonna I'm gonna catch up. I'm gonna let's go through both songs. Um, okay. So I'll play you. I, I'm actually using a reference track that I got from you for my song. I'm using the Dead Letter oh, really? Circus. Uh, track yeah not one that you did but one that I, I think you sent this to me at one point it's very cool yeah i'm gonna play it i don't i don't care if we get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'm gonna play um my mix of this vin violet song and then the reference track and listen for some differences and we're going to do our uh step one which is the corrective eq hmm.
So I was mostly working with that that louder section there, and it's not really a fair reference mm. because that Dead Letter Circus track has a lot of like sub drops. It's got a lot of like that. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say a very a very interesting choice, but I can also hear why you used used it too because um those drums have a similar ambience to them. Yeah, like and the like it's just stuff. kind of a. Re, like roomy guitar sound as well. I use two tracks. I use this one and then I used an Alabama Shake song. Mm. Um, and yeah, but I'm ignoring the subs. I don't want that many that much subs in my song because I don't have those drops. It's not really appropriate yeah. for, for the genre I was going for. But specifically the guitars I'm listening to and the mid-range of the vocal, and you could hear that my mix is a lot more mid-rangey. So if I were making that noise with my mouth, it would be like a haw that's kind of the frequency that I have a lot of in my mix. So the first thing I did was uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna notch that out. I'm gonna show you uh, how I do that. So here it is without the EQ. That's with the EQ. So I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna boost what I cut so you can hear what I'm hearing and removing mm. there. So those are the two frequencies that I'm cutting, which is about 440 hertz and around one kilohertz. And again, I found those is... really just by sweeping and listening back and forth. And mm. I'm really, I'm only cutting like half a dB on both, but they're very broad cuts. So I'm cutting out a lot. I'm getting that like smile shape. Very nice. The, you basically just had too much ocean in your track, the 400 hertz. Yes, too much. Exactly. I want the I want the pink seagrass, but not with the ocean, not the seashells. Yes, yes. That's a, <laughs> I love that. That's it. That's what exactly what I wanted. Exactly. <laughs> okay, and then for compression, I ran into the same thing you did. Um, I actually found that the compressor didn't didn't do much for me, um, mm. and and I I didn't need to use it. But again, I've I've outlined already some of the things that I would be trying. But you to tried do with it. it. Yours sounds pretty appropriate. Like it doesn't. It already sounds pretty glued. Yeah, because I've already ran it, it through the bus compressor, so it is. It's uh, that's what I was listening for. I was like, "What am I getting from this compressor? Am I getting anything?" And and I wasn't. I wasn't getting much out of it. So, so I didn't do that. All right. So after compression, we both now compressed our tracks. I ended up not compressing mine. So step four was compression. We talked about why we do it. Step five, yes. enhance. Enhance. Enhance, like from uh, Super Troopers. <laughs> so enhance is a weird one. To me, when I say enhance, I mean adding a little bit of harmonic distortion. And the way to think about this, I was confused for a while on the difference between uh, saturation or adding harmonic distortion and EQ. And the difference is really as follows. With an EQ, you're shining a light on something that's already there. Yeah. And if it's not there, then it's not there. Uh, with harmonic saturation, you're actually making the thing glow. 
Okay, you're adding stuff that wasn't there before. Hmm. And that's, it's, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. Um, so there's saturation from different bands gives you different things. Saturating the low frequencies adds a little bit of mid-range to it. So for example, if you have something like a cheesy sounding 808, just kidding, all 808s are awesome. But <laughs> you, may real, you may not hear that 808 at all on your phone. And no matter how much you boost it, you won't hear it on your phone. The frequent, your phone can't represent low frequencies and the frequency content isn't there. If you saturate that 808, it will create frequency content in the mid-range that then yeah. allows that 808 to come through on small speakers. That's the key on uh, low end. And yeah, add something there for me on saturation. That's a gr super important point. Um, I feel very similar. This track like was lacking those subharmonic frequencies that kind of made it because those low frequencies they also make it feel like warm and snug like it's what gives kind of music in that the um, low mid-range it's kind of it's warmth it's not just low-end energy it's also this cozy feeling too yes it's kind of like this solid blanket that allows all the more sparkly frequencies on top to not sound too harsh Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sparkly blanket. I like that. Yeah. A sparkly blanket. <laughs> a cozy yeah. blanket that lets the sparkly frequencies not sound so harsh. That's that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. That's it. I want yeah. the ocean. I don't want the sun to reflect off of it and blind me in the eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right. Go with our ocean <laughs> analogy. So this is a tricky one using stock plugins again. So when we talk yeah. about saturation, you probably have tape plugins. That's a great one to try. Ben, you and I both tried two different stock plugins. I used the one in Pro Tools called uh, Enhance. It did a little bit for me. Um, I could play you what it what it sounds like. And you, you actually used a distortion type plugin. Yeah. But yeah, and both were subtle. And um, you have to play around with this because you can also easily overdo saturation. And when you overdo saturation, things just become a blurry, non-defined. I will say that this step was the one I was debating keeping in or not. Yeah. So okay. out of out of all the steps, I would say that this is the trickiest one to get right. So if you're not sure, just skip it. <laughs> For me, I um it's it's a very simple plugin and it was very easy to overdo it. So what I did at first was just turn it up until I could hear it obviously crackling and sounding nasty. Mm. And then I backed it off until it wasn't doing that. And then I kind of bypassed it and engaged it and just the difference was very subtle. And like you said, I didn't even know if I would keep it in reality, but I did want to try it out. This is without it and I'm about to engage it. tough to tell on the stream can you tell i really couldn't very yeah, subtle. i can't tell on the stream either uh, but listening to it i did hear it push a little bit of a little bit of energy and again there's this kind of just think about your um saturation as being when you saturate the lows it pushes them up into the mids when you saturate the highs you were listening for like a sparkling sheen 
Um, and also, as Ben said, it softens the transients a little bit as well, which is where you can easily overdo it and get a smudgy Bob Ross yeah. crying all over <laughs> his painting and then trying to wipe it off and it doesn't work mess. Exactly. All right. So we've enhanced it a little bit with saturation. Next step, stereo widening. You actually did these two opposite, which there's no rules. This is just uh, how I chose to do it. You can certainly play around with the order of these things. Stereo width is something, again, we want to be a little bit careful of. But what we're generally trying to do is listen to our reference track and listen to the things that are out on the sides, usually like guitars. How wide yeah. are the guitars on your reference track or synths or whatever's out there on the sides? How wide is it compared to what you're doing? and Again, there's stock plugins that do this, so you can adjust your width a little bit to taste. And always, always, always check your mix in mono because the risk with stereo width is it sounds awesome and super wide in stereo, and then in mono stuff starts disappearing, or your set, which basically your center channel starts getting weird, like your bass will yeah. be feel unfocused, like you can't quite tell where it's coming from anymore. That means you've overdone it with the stereo width. So. Ben, add what you will, and then we'll play your, um, your, your widened version. Sure. So one, one thing, uh, I guess I'll pose to you a question, because I always think about this when it comes to stereo widening effects. I like them as much as the next guy, <laughs> because they give that. The thing I'm listening or looking for the most is that separation in the music, because sometimes things can get cloudy together. Like you've got the vocals and the guitars all together. Uh, along with bass and drums and everything else. Then you add that width and all of a sudden it's like the the water's part and then you see the vocalist is standing right there and you've got two walls of guitars on either side and it's awesome. But my question is, so let's hop back to the mix a little bit. And I know a lot of guys, they'll just pan their guitars hard, 100% right, 100% left. So where are we pushing our guitars to if we're adding width? Isn't 100% the widest they possibly could go? And it's a little bit of a rhetorical question, but I think about this a lot when I'm mixing in preparation for mastering, and sometimes I won't push things the full 100% distance apart because I'm always trying to be aware of how wide can I push things for separation, but I don't want to push them so wide that they sound unnatural. And... I'll notice this with headphones sometimes that it sounds like guitars are playing behind my head mm. instead of to the side. So that's the kind of thing that I'm listening for. Yes. And while you were on vacation climbing in the moon craters <laughs> of Idaho, yes, I did an episode, episode 71 on stereo. And I talked about on that episode that stereo is the difference between left and right. So even if you have things panned hard, you can still make them sound wider psychoacoustically by making them more different, which is how these plugins are working. Mm. But the farther away things are from center, basically the more unfocused and weird and unnatural, like you said, they can start to sound and also you can have issues in mono. So this and the saturation are both super easy to overdo and ruin your mix with. And that's why you want to be listening back to that other track we loaded in your just your raw mix to make sure you're not making things worse. So I'm gonna play your version here, um, widened, and mm. we'll see. This one is I think pretty easy to tell the difference on. Show me, show me the way. 
So you can hear in the guitars definitely push a little bit wider. And I thought you did it tastefully. Definitely didn't overdo it, but you get a little bit of an enhancement, which is what we're looking for there. Yeah, I only, so the way the plugin works is it goes from 100% is where it was and then up to 200%. And I went just an additional 4%, 104% wide. So I'm only yeah. adding like four clicks out of 100 possible yeah. to the wideness. And it made a huge difference. Yeah, that's what mastering is definitely a subtle game. Um, as we'll hear when we go from our finished product to where we started, we'll hear a big difference. Let me play you mm-hmm. my uh, widened version. Interesting. Listening to it there, I think I overdid it. <laughs> <laughs> it did sound like the guitars got quieter. Yeah, well which is wider. which is yeah, that's one of the things that happens. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I did this on using the monitors, and this is why I always want to check using headphones because um yeah, in headphones I think I overdid it. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I got the same effect from listening to mine. I felt like the guitars got quieter in my headphones, even though they sounded like they were louder on monitors when I was doing the effects. So yeah. that's, that's a good thing for our listeners to pay attention. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, yeah, absolutely a good one to uh, make sure you don't overdo. Okay, so we've done a little bit of enhancement. We've done a little bit of stereo widening. Back to what step are we on in our field guide here? Uh, step seven. Step. Brick wall I have, I, limiter. I think I have an additional step before. Oh yes, because you did seven. your uh, enhanced step. Let's play that. So you did you widened first, and then you um, did a little bit of harmonic distortion. Let's oh hear yes, what that sounds we like. haven't listened to that. Let's let's listen yeah. to that. So first without it, and then I'll announce it just before I switch. And now without it. I almost can't tell you what it's doing, but I like it more. (laughs) Yeah, that's very common with saturation. In the streaming, honestly, as the way we're listening to this, recording this, I can't even tell the difference. Hardly, but uh, listening to it before this, I yeah, I could tell a little bit in the guitars and a little bit in the vocal. You're right, very very subtle. Just a hair better is all we're going for. So, well done. Yes. Okay. I have another now, step. Oh, what's your other 6. step? Six point five step. Six point five. I learned this uh, trick from reading a book about mastering, and in this book he suggested how quaint. Try adding. What was that? How quaint. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, He suggested adding a little bit of reverb to a master if it needs it. So I tried doing that, and I think I like it more, but you can be the judge, Vadim, on whether you like what I did or not. Okay, I'll take it. You know what? I've heard of this as well. Never played with it, although I would consider it, I think, if a track was too dry. Let's listen to this. Very curious. 
here it comes. You know what? I do like that. It adds just a Deal. little bit of three dimensionness to it that wasn't there before. Yeah, I think, you know, having a year to not listen to this song and listen back to it, this song feels like it's meant to be played in an arena. <laughs> and I did not add that amount of arena reverb to the drums. But only looking at it from a mastering perspective, we have to affect the whole stereo track. So maybe this would be an effect I would only want to add to maybe the vocals and the drums, but I have to add it to the whole track. So maybe I couldn't go as crazy as I would if this was a mix, but from a mastering perspective, sometimes you can get away with it. All right, so now we get to our brick wall limiter, which is the most infamous of the mastering yes. tools. Our brick wall limiter, we are trying to push loudness to the, our final level where we want it to be. So I'm going to give you some quick guidelines here. In general, if you're mastering for streaming, uh, you have to worry about something called inter-sample uh, inter peaks and whatever else. Just set your ceiling to either minus a half dB or even minus one dB. If you're mastering for CD and depending on the quality of your limiter, you can push louder than that, but minus one is a good rule of thumb. Is that what you use or you do something different? I like minus one because I don't, you know, I'm trying not to just move things stupid loud for the sake of pushing them stupid loud. So normally I can get the loudness I want and also have, you know, a ceiling of negative one dB. Yeah, same here, especially for streaming now. It's, it's pretty easy to do. So you set your ceiling to minus one and then you start pulling your threshold down and that's going to make your mix louder. Keep an eye on how much uh, the limiter is working. And you know what? Grab the threshold and pull it way down so you can hear what it sounds like when it starts to distort. It sounds like trash. And <laughs> yes. um, you, so that's what you're trying to avoid. So you can go as loud as you want without uh, destroying your mix. And the thing you want to do here, what I like to do is, remember, we have our track that's completely unprocessed. Well, you're making your uh, master track louder now, but you can take the fader and pull it down just like you did with your reference track to level yeah. match between now your master track that you're working on and the original track. And now you can still have an honest comparison and really hear what you're doing to your transients and whether you're introducing any unwanted distortion. Cool, so let's do, uh, and you've already done the level matching here, so I'm gonna play your version. Honestly, Ben, my thing with limiting is I try to limit as transparently as possible. Yeah, same. I don't want the limiter to do anything other than make my song louder, and I don't want it to change the character at all. So that's what I listen for. Yeah, same. So in theory, we shouldn't really, because you've already level matched this, we shouldn't really hear a difference. If we do hear a difference, um, that might be, it might be okay. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, you're probably going to hear a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. But I'm just saying, in, in theory, this is totally subjective. Some people yes. look for the limiter to add a certain, uh, impart a certain taste to it, whatever, crushing the transients down a little bit or whatever. Me yeah. personally, I don't want the limiter doing hardly anything. So that's just a subjective and, opinion. And I will say, I don't know if it's like this with the other DAWs, but the stock limiter in 
Studio One, it sounds terrible whenever you over limit it. So oh, you yeah? do not want it to affect Yeah, you do not want it affecting your track that much. Okay. Yeah, I'll play I'll 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 overload the Pro Tools one. It also sounds like trash. Okay. All right, so let's listen <laughs> to uh this Dan Casagrande track. The final step limiting. Here it comes. That sounds pretty cool. transparent to me. I do. I did think it softened the transients a little bit, but I actually thought that it it, it was appropriate. I actually liked okay, the slightly cool. splattier transients a little bit better on the limited version. So I thought it was a positive change. I agree, and I think that this is this is the battle. No matter if you're using stock plugins like super high end gear, the battle with a brick wall limiter is. Um, reducing the volume of the snare or the transients like too much and i could even hear in that like the snare got a little bit more quiet than i would have wanted it to be but oh, yeah. it's like appropriately it's still appropriate in, in that range yeah yeah no, i thought it, i thought it was good all right cool. let me play you mine and then i'm gonna grab that limiter and abuse it and you'll hear what that limiter mm. distortion sounds like all right, so yeah, I, I didn't level, I didn't bounce a level match version, but what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna uh, toggle back and uh, back and forth between the our original mix where we didn't do anything to it, and my final limited mix, and we're listening for any limiter artifacts, um, and then I'll show you what it sounds like when a limiter is giving you the bad stuff. Okay. version Nice. One more time I'm going to I want to listen to that snare. What do you think? I like it. I like it. Sounds like everything's glued together. I think it's good for the the genre. Cool. Yeah. I, I same feeling that you had there. Where like maybe the snare got a little bit too smothered, but um, overall, I think we've made an improvement, which is what we wanted. Yes. Here's what it sounds like when a limiter is abused. It almost sounds like it's like been down, like the sample rate's been turned down, like it's a bit crushed version. Yeah, yeah, it does. You you actually hear this. You actually hear limiters adding this kind of distortion on commercial tracks occasionally, which is crazy. Hmm. But uh, not so much anymore. But back in the prime of the loudness war, you definitely would hear stuff like that. Nuts. Okay, so we've done our brick wall limiting. Step eight. We just check check what we just did. Check what you've done against what you started with. Is it better? Be honest with yourself. And uh, I have one more step here. Step nine is use loudnesspenalty.com, 
We've talked about this before. Loudnesspenalty.com is a website that'll let you upload your master track and it'll tell you how much the various streaming services will turn them down, uh, which is to say if you're being turned down by a lot, like 5 dB, you probably made your mix louder than it needs to be. And uh, maybe if it sounds okay, that's great. But if your limiter is working on the verge of working too hard, good news, you can back off a little bit and you don't need to push it yeah. as hard. That's a good point. All right, my friend. Well, this is our DIY mastering field manual. This was a lot of fun to do. It was a challenge working with stock plugins, but I think we yeah. both learned that there's actually a lot of cool stock plugins out there that we may not know about that have a lot of great functionality as well. That's true. And, um, you know, if you're looking to do a quick DIY master, I mean, this just proves you can do it with stock plugin. And Absolutely. it'll get you at least it'll get you at least something that sounds better than what you had as a mix. Yeah. And by following these steps, you'll be ready for release. Guarantee it. Uh, you know what would be really great, Ben? Even better than using a reference track is if you could reference your own track that's been mastered by either yes. Ben or myself. So we're gonna give you a challenge and an opportunity here. If you send us a song that you're about to DIY master, we will do a free test master for you, at least of a clip of the song. And yes, we of course would love to work with you and master your music, but we encourage you to do this even if you have no intention whatsoever of working with us because it'll give you something to reference, that this, uh, a target to shoot for that will improve your mastering skills. Yes, love to. It would be... Our pleasure and uh, a lot of fun as well. Absolutely. So again, if you're not on our email list, the quickest way to get on that is um, to sign up at, how, at howtorecordyourband.com. You'll get our free ebook. You'll get on the email list. And by the way, I'll actually also say that this free mastering sample, you have to be on our email list to get this as well. So email us from whatever uh, email address you use to sign up for the email list. I'm Vadim at DIYrecordingguys.com. Ben is Ben at DIYrecordingguys.com. Very easy to remember. That's it. It's been a long episode, but a fun one. We hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. Have a good one. Cool. A little bit longer than usual, but that's okay. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support see you next week.